This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in as always. However you listen through your favorite podcast, we got it you covered on all kinds of different fronts. And trust me, you want to get in on the action with the Cajun Strong Style Podcast right now. Is we're getting on the cusp of SummerSlam. Obviously, Money in the Bank is going to be later this week. I cannot wait for the fact we're going to have fans live in the stands for this event and so much more to get to. But we'll start off with UFC 264 because, obviously, everybody wants to hear my thoughts on the main event, Poirier taking down McGregor to win the trilogy fight. But, of course, before we do that, let me tell you, go ahead and subscribe if you're on iTunes, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever podcast app that you use, make sure you go do that. And if you're on iTunes, leave a five-star review. It's very much appreciated. And, hey, if you write a five-star review as well, we'll read it on the podcast right from the jump, like we're doing right now with everything going on in the world of MMA. We'll talk about right now. In full disclosure, didn't see any of the prelim fights. But I just jumped straight to the main card for this one. And boy, oh boy, it lived up to the hype and then some. And let's kind of get into it. Sean O'Malley, Chris Moutinho, the opener. And simply put, I feel like Moutinho somehow, some way, was Homer Simpson against Dredrick Tatum. You remember that episode of The Simpsons? He was getting just absolutely obliterated. But somehow, he was saved by the bell. It was 10-8 by four for O'Malley. But I think, honestly... You know, Herb Dean should have stopped it there. We'll talk about Herb Dean in a minute. But he should have stopped it at the end of the first round because he was basically grabbing Butino and pushing him in the direction to go towards his corner. He had to help him get to his corner. That's not a great look. And it was amazing just to see, you know, Sugar Sean getting tons of strikes in on him. And the guy took it on short notice. But, honestly, if the dude takes short notice like this and he's not necessarily the best fighter in the world, maybe it's time to kind of reanalyze the way you want to handle things if you're Dana White in terms of booking different opponents and booking things out like this because this was an absolute mess. And, again, it was the same thing in round two. It was like CTE Central for him. And it was absolutely one-sided. And it was impressive to see him keep standing. But you got to think he's going to have to go down sooner or later. But Motino late in the first round, he started to rally back. So I had O'Malley going 10-9, according to my card. You see, O'Malley dominated that second round, but it was still all about that finish. Where Motino actually showed some fight, and he took that into the third round, not backing down. It's impressive showing from him. Again, short notice, really good stuff from him. But O'Malley won by TKO with about 30 seconds left. And I was a huge uh, fan of the decision to end it there by Herb Dean in my book. I I wasn't necessarily the hugest fan of that. But again, I understand why they did it. But he wasn't staggering. There was like 30 seconds left in the fight. He could have probably ended it a lot earlier. But again, makes sense. Because the dude absolutely was getting hammered. 200 strikes to the dome. Was damn near like his head. I mean, he must be part Samoan. The way he was just getting absolutely demolished. 
And then we got a women's fight, Arena Donna versus Yanni, Yana Kunitsaya. Hopefully I'm pronouncing those two names right. But these girls were scrapping from the jump street. Aldana, about the final 60 seconds or so, knocked her down with a surprise left that even you know Eddie Vedder would have loved. And it was just raining blows on her. The next thing you know, Kunitsaya stayed down, but basically was trying to keep her like distance, using her using her feet, keeping staying on the ground, basically being like the, the turtle position. But then Aldana just said, "Screw it, I'm finishing off." Put the weight on her and landed just a bunch more punches to really secure a late first round TKO win. Really solid second fight on the main card. I was blown away by that one. Now we get to probably my favorite fight of the night, probably my favorite knockout of the year, Ty Tuivasa versus Greg Hardy. And I won't waste any time because there's really not much to say about this fight. Besides, Ty Tuivasa came out to Spice Girls, murdered Greg Hardy with one punch in about 30 seconds, and drank many beers out of a shoe. Screw Greg Hardy. I hope I never see him fight in the octagon or any other thing again because screw him. But Greg Hardy got knocked the bleep out by Tai Tuivasa, one of my favorite knockouts of the year. Because it was like he just hit him with one punch and he went down. Like it was like even the referee was like, all right, he's dead. Like you just basically ended this man's whole career in one fell swoop. Drinking shoeies, you gotta love drinking beer out of shoes. Some phenomenal stuff right there. Now we get to Gilbert Burns versus Stephen Thompson. First of all, Stephen Thompson come out to Wonder Boy Rules, for the record. And then Burns took that round 10-9. And this was like largely just because he got a single leg takedown. And it was like, all the fights were so good, fun, and fast. This was the point where I, it was slowing down. The, the fight was just getting to a snail's pace. And I started yawning in the middle of the second round. It's never a good sign when you're yawning in the middle of a co-main event fight. And the round ended with these two throwing like these short hooks. They were basically like arm in arm and just throwing hooks to each other. And Joe Rogan, by the way, love the fact that he name-dropped Don Fry, a legend in the early UFC days. Again, at Thompson winning this round as well, 10-9. And Wonderboy really kind of settled things here, for, at least for my POV. But, you know, Burns got his third takedown of the fight. I think that was kind of the big reason why he secured the win, because he dominated on the ground and got some good takedowns. And Burns did wind up winning 29-28, which was the same thing I had on my card, on my scorecard. And this was a really good contest, but felt really flat compared to all the other fights that I saw on the card. I wound up checking out in the aftermath some of the early prelim and prelim stuff that people were talking about. So I was like, hell yeah, let's go ahead and do this. It was pretty damn fun. So I'm like, okay, this is what I want to see. And I'm all the way here for it. Next thing you know, we get to the main event. And it's a little bit after 11 when this happens. First of all, can we all agree that UFC needs to move up move up their fight card times? Because a 9 o'clock start time is just the absolute worst for us in Central Time. and Eastern Time, it's even worse because this fight started a little after midnight. Thankfully, it's a Saturday night, so you have Sunday to kind of recover. But still, it's a pop on look. But this was these two emptying the tank earlier. They These two pretty much knew this fight was not going to go more than about two, three rounds. They absolutely just were decimating each other 
Poirier at one point landed a good shot, got on the ground, and from that point on, he controlled. McGregor locked in a guillotine, but Poirier slipped out of the gilly, got out of it, started raining shots down on him, and he about had two, three minutes worth of time where he was just controlling the ground. And then we get to the finish of the fight. And as it happens live, I talked about this with Jordy on the show on Monday, but it looked like Poirier connected on a punch and gets a knockdown. Sees blood in the water, throws a ton of punches. Herb Dean had plenty of opportunity to stop it, if not for the fact that McGregor was actually showing some fight in him. And then we see the replay, and it's pretty clear. Connor stepped back, and his foot, his leg, went in a direction where no human's leg should go. And the fight ended from there. Absolutely mess of a finish of a fight. And, yes, you have the excuse of him having another opportunity down the road, which we'll talk about in a second. But looking at Poirier in particular, it is time for Poirier to get an opportunity to fight against Charles Oliveira before the end of 2021. It's a title shot he should have already had. But Poirier, again, he took the money and is running with it. And it's a smart idea on his part. He's been making like well over $2 million more than he's ever made. I wouldn't be surprised if Poirier gets this fight with Charles Oliveira, wins the lightweight title, and then kind of prepares for whoever's next. I think Michael Chandler could be that next guy in line after Oliveira. It's all about how he bounces back, because I don't think you're going to get Poirier, Dan Hooker, too. And please, for the love of God, I do not want to hear the phrase Poirier McGregor 4. Poirier McGregor 4 is something I don't want to see happen. I understand the way the fight game works. And you had Poirier lose on a quote-unquote technicality. But here's the thing. I don't give a rat's ass about technicalities. He lost the fight. You don't go back and run another fight back in a trilogy. You never had Ollie Frazier go Ollie Frazier 4. You never had I don't think there's ever been a trilogy fight in the UFC's history that I can tell you off top. And honestly, it's time for McGregor to focus on retiring because he's going to have to spend a year rehabbing. He's going to spend a year rehabbing that broken tibia. Originally thought it was an ankle, but no, it's a tibia, which is even worse. He was absolutely out of it. He's done. He hasn't won a fight. He's won one fight. Since, you know, Barack Obama was president, that's 2016, five years, he's won one fight. And that was against a kind of that, that that guy that you see, the can, the tomato can fight. That was a fight where it pretty much put McGregor back on the map because he won it about 10 seconds. But he fought a jabroni for a reason, because he wanted to get McGregor over. Now he's fighting actually good fighters in Dustin Poirier, in Khabib Nurmagomedov. He actually, the game has passed him by. And McGregor needs to fade away and classify himself as obsolete. McGregor was talking smack. And again, I got to say this. Dustin deserves all the credit in the world. And security deserves the credit, too. Because any man said what he said about Poirier's wife, if I was in his position, I would have risked my job in the UFC by beating the ever-loving crap out of him. I don't normally cuss on this podcast, but I don't give a damn. I would beat the crap out of McGregor if he said something about my wife, my girlfriend, whatever. If he said what he said, especially all the stuff that he'd been saying in the run-up about, oh, it's it, it, Joe Lee's wife, all that stuff. No. 
I would be beating the tar out of him, stomping mud hole, walking dry. I don't care if I ever fight in the UFC again. I'm going to beat this dude down and make sure he never comes back. And now he's even more of a jabroni because he kept talking trash while he was down. You never talk. You should, he should have never been able to talk during the post-fight. Go ahead, give him the stretcher job. That's it. And, by the way, I love the fact that Poirier straight up said possibly my favorite quote of the year, and I know it's July. We still have plenty of time for another great quote from McGregor or somebody else from this area. But he said something that I absolutely loved, and thankfully yours truly did bleep it. And everybody booing, everybody booing, you can kiss my whole ass. That was absolutely the greatest drop from that pay-per-view. I was like, I immediately needed to get that. And everybody booing, everybody booing, you can kiss my whole ass. And that's the best thing in the world. Like It's so perfect. There's T-shirts being printed. I think the proceeds are going to go towards the good fight, which, honestly, if you were making those and you didn't, you're a complete jerk, and you don't deserve to be happy. I just absolutely was blown away by the reception from that promo, and it was absolutely amazing. UFC 264 was so much fun. I'm hopeful more of those cards are going to get even better now that we get more and more Kind of big fights coming up. And we just got an announcement with Nick Diaz in the co-main event. It's going to be a five-round fight. Nick Diaz, Robbie Lawler, too, just became official a little bit before we started taping the podcast. So that one's going to be really good for UFC 266 in September. But we're all kind of looking forward to UFC 265 before too long out in H-Town. And that's going to be really fun with a Derek Lewis Taking on Cyril Ghana, and that's going to be pretty good as well. Amanda Nunes going to be in the Bantamweight title fight against Juliana Pena. Jose Aldo is going to be in a really good fight as well. And the main card is kind of shaping up quite nice. I know they're going to probably fit at least one more in. You're kind of reorganizing some things. But 260, like Dana White has been building up a lot of hype cards. I think this is going to be another prime example of just that. Cannot wait for more MMA talk here on the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. I know we talked a lot about the world of UFC just now, but honestly, it was time to kind of get into brass tacks about all that stuff. This is a great week, and I'll tell you why. The biggest reason why is the fact that it's an end of an era. Last night was the last show without fans. Hopefully the last show without fans ever. Because, boy, oh, boy, I got tired of it. And now we're going to have fans back in the stands. Fans back in the stands. We started getting a little more over the last few weeks with AEW, but AEW had their first show on the road in Miami this past Wednesday, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But Monday Night Raw finally ended the pandemic era. And they ended it on an okay note. I didn't watch much of it, but I think they had a really good Ricochet-John Morrison match for about the fifth time, which is something, I'll say this, it's something that was it's been exposed for years, but I think it got even more kind of pushed down our throats with the pandemic era. Reruns. I saw so many, I wish I could pull up a cage match for each and every week and look it up. I'm probably going to do that and put it up on Twitter. 
But I'd love to see how many times we saw on Monday Night Raw or Friday Night SmackDown in the last, like, six months, from January of this year to July, to this past Monday, how many times we've seen these individual matches? Because I'm almost certain, and, you know, it's been something that we've noticed a lot over the last few years, but I think it's been exacerbated with the fact that you don't have fans in the stands to really make matches feel any different. I mean, I think we've seen Seth Rollins Cesaro face off, like, five times in the last, like, three months. That's like, same thing with John Morrison Ricochet. I think that match has happened like four times. And there's a lot of other prime examples of that exact thing. We've seen these matches just be rehashed and rebooted, and they're done week after week after week to where it doesn't necessarily matter all that much. To where whenever you see it on a pay-per-view card, like let's say, for instance, we're going to see Ricochet and John Morrison in a match as part of Money in the Bank. We've seen these guys wrestle enough, and we're kind of like, okay. It is what it is. I, mean, I, I just don't understand why we continue to do this. And it's something I think we're, we've noticed more during the pandemic here. Meanwhile, AEW somehow, some way, actually has, relatively speaking, fresh matches. And when they have a rematch, a one-on-one or a tag team match, they have even higher stakes behind it. Case in point, what Dynamite does with the open challenge or not the proving ground match or whatever, where they have to win, and if they win, they'll get a match against the tag team champions the next week. They did this with Penta and Eddie Kingston. It makes perfect sense in terms of telling a story and giving you a reason to wind up watching it twice rather than, oh, hey, you know, this guy beat you, and then you try and get your win back. There's actually going to be stakes to it to where it's not just the same four or five matches every week because that's to a certain extent what the pandemic era has felt like. And I'd say it's the worst part. Of it, but the best part of the pandemic era, I think, honestly, is to see how we've evolved it. Because they could have just done nothing but shows from the performance center for over a year, no fans, no nothing. They could have done that, and we probably would have never really kind of given a rat's ass about it. But they changed the game just in WWE terms, going ahead and having the Thunderdome. They Change the game with that. The Thunderdome making like a virtual viewing experience. And it was such a great idea. It was kind of cheesy at first. But then you realize it makes it feel at least somewhat lived in versus this like sterile product where you're hearing like nothing but the sound of people bumping. I just feel like that was something that needed to change. And they did that. And they did a great job of putting it together at, I'm a, excuse me, trying to think of the name of the area now, but they did, in Orlando, but they did a UCF's basketball stadium. And then they moved it to Tampa Stadium until baseball season started. Tampa Bay Rays, I should say. And then they moved that over to USF Stadium. No, it was, it was Orlando Magic's Arena. What am I talking about? But it was the Magic, the Orlando Magic Arena. Then it was Tampa Bay's Arena. Then it, Tampa Bay Rays. Then it was WrestleMania, obviously, at Raymond James. And then they had USF, the South Florida Bulls basketball team. They used their venue after baseball season started, and that's kind of where we're at now, or where we were, because now we're getting it back fully. And I. I'm absolutely overjoyed about the fact that it is actually happening. And you know, you'd say, say you could say the same thing about AEW. The fact they were able to have quote unquote crowds for a good bit of the time. 
after kind of figuring some things out, they had the fans in terms of the indie wrestlers that were already there to do dark and dark elevation, all that stuff. They had them there to give it more of a live feel. And when you get the full crowd back, like you have the last few weeks, you really get to see how much people like are so excited. And the energy's there. Because AEW, since like Double or Nothing, the energy's been there. Like when I heard an entire crowd sing along to Jungle Boy's music, something I've been wanting to see for a long time, since they had unveiled the music earlier in the year, it made me realize how much I miss like live crowds. I have been at like sporting events with crowds, but it's been very muted. Now we're getting close to seeing 100% for college football. We're getting close to 100% for pro football because, well, the seasons haven't started yet. And obviously with the new strains of COVID and all that stuff, which is something for a different podcast, a different show, a different station, I'm not here to be an epidemiologist or whatever. I'm just here to kind of present the facts. I'm interested to see if it's going to continue to be this like full steam ahead towards 100% or, or if we could see it be pulled back ever so slightly depending on the state. I think Texas is basically we're never going to go back towards it because, honestly, they've already kind of they screwed the pooch once, and I know that you know the governor in Texas probably doesn't want to be fooled again and make, made, looked, made, a, made a fool out of him, I should say. But I was intrigued to see how this entire thing was going to go for this guy. And I was intrigued by everything going on with this company. And the way AEW has been putting it together lately, they've been crushing it. And I am loving every single stinking minute of it. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next with a lot of other companies. We've seen ROH. They had their show Best in the World. They had their like first edition of that back since last year, since COVID. Like Again, it's the fact that we're getting this stuff back. That's all that matters to a lot of people is to get these things back in our lives because, honestly, we want to feel normal again. And for a lot of people, I think justifiably so, getting back to normal would mean returning to watching pro wrestling on a regular basis. And you do that, I guarantee you, you're going to wind up getting a lot more people into your product. And you're going to get a lot more people who want to see you succeed. And, you know, TNA Wrestling, they're going to be back in action this week. They're getting ready for their big show Slammiversary on Saturday. It's Again, it's a phenomenal weekend if you're a fan of pro wrestling. And if you're listening to this podcast, you damn well should be. But this is a time where you're going to look back at the era of the pandemic era of wrestling and be like, we actually got to this point. We actually got to the end of the road. How did we wind up getting to this final spot? And I think it just took a lot of gumption and a lot of by-God ability to reach this point, we're at the end game, and on Friday, WWE is going to be one of the last promotions, ironically, because MLW even had a show with live fans this past weekend, which I haven't watched yet, but I'm really wanting to. I heard nothing but good things about it. But we're seeing all these great things happen in the sport of professional wrestling, and the fans are coming back. And it's been nothing short of amazing to see what pro wrestling has brought to the table over the last year because they've had to adapt a lot more, a lot like how we've seen the NFL, college football, 
and all sports adapt, but they had to adapt very quickly because it's not like the NCAA tournament and college sports as we know it, where that thing just completely, it was just shut down. Within two days after Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID-19, WWE had a plan B and just started doing shows from the Performance Center. AEW, quick on their feet, figured out a way to start doing shows from Daily's Place. It was almost closed circuit. But my God, this was so much fun. There were some really bad moments, but I think on the whole, we can say we got to the end of the line, and now we're going to start seeing a lot of big stories going forward. And we're going to start seeing more big moments. Case in point, some reports have come out from Fightful Select saying that John Cena is going to be back in the WWE in the next, like, 10 days. So I wouldn't be surprised to see how that storyline goes and see what happens with her and a lot of other different things. So color me intrigued, and as a wrestling fan, I cannot wait for it. Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. I won't get too much into AEW Road Rager since we're taping this on a Tuesday, and more likely than not, I'll be dropping this on a Wednesday morning, Wednesday mid-morning, I should say, and AEW Dynamo will be coming up. But i got to say, Road Rager set the tone for what should be an amazing run of events they've got on tap. Obviously, you've got Fighter Fest night one tomorrow, or uh, better yet, we're taping this on Tuesday, so probably the Wednesday we're dropping it and I can't wait to see the coffin match between Darby Allen and Ethan page. That should be a lot of fun. But the fact that we got to see a lot of other different things, including the debut of Tommy end slash Malachi black, which honestly I love the split personality type gimmick and just so much stuff works from that perspective. So tell me that that wouldn't be a whole lot of fun. And I'm honestly intrigued to see how AEW moves forward with this. But the debut of Malachi Black was such a huge surprise. I wasn't watching at the time when it happened live. But as soon as I got text from everybody, I had to go rewind in the DVR machine and get to that point. And the second half, I just said, there's like, they actually went and did it. And then you find out the world of WWE is stupid. Because according to reports, I believe Meltzer put this out, Sean Ross Sapp, a Fightful put this out, you straight up had a freaking clerical error. Instead of a 90-day non-compete, you had a 30-day non-compete, and that's why Aleister Black showed up on TV. I know they're letting some people out of their clauses a little bit early. I think you'll be seeing a lot more of that as we get to, you know, I'd say Slam Anniversary this weekend. And there's a lot of other stuff going on with it as well. But what happens next with AEW and who could very well be coming next? Because if one guy had a clerical error that led to him coming out two months early and as a massive surprise, and we heard, you know, Tony Khan keeps saying he's got surprises, he's got tricks up his sleeve. Somehow, some way, he actually pulled out a major trick up his sleeve. And this was so damn good. And it was so cool to see. 
Alistair Black, formerly Tommy N, now Malachi Black, and they actually had a vignette about it. You check it out on Instagram, and they actually wound up telling a lot more of the story than just, oh, hey, it's like Alistair Black, but his name's slightly different. No, there's actually a story behind it. And I like the fact they're actually world-building to a certain extent with him. And then you also have, you know, the debut of Andrade on that same show. And Andrade had a really good match. And I love the fact that he actually was rocking the black mask gimmick. Also, the main event with the Young Bucks and Eddie Kingston and Pence. I talked about that earlier. The AEW World Tag Team title match was so damn good. The way they built that was really... The street fight was phenomenal. Yes, you got to see... You know, classic rough bumps and then Bullet Club-esque things with the Good Brothers run, trying to run in. And they kept, you know, taking care of business. But I was honestly so, like, shocked to see the ending where you have, you know, the super kick and throwing tacks everywhere. Like, the spots were so damn cool. And I absolutely enjoyed that match. It was just dumb fun. And to be honest with you, that's what I want to see in pro wrestling. I don't want to have to, like, think too much. Just shut my brain off for a little while, and more likely than not, I'll be enjoying the hell out of it. And AEW Dynamite set the bar pretty high for their first show back in front of fans. I'll say post-COVID. But appreciate everybody for listening to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. We'll talk to you next week when we reach Episode 65.